Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, good morning. How is everybody today? All right, all right. Can you guys help me thank Paige and Chris for leading us this morning? And, and Vondell, they did an amazing job up there. Uh, welcome to South Valley. My name's Ricky Hemi. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for joining us this Labor Day weekend. You know, we never know as a church, like churches all around on Sundays, on Labor Day weekend, like, is anyone going to show up on Labor Day weekend? And you guys showed up. So give yourselves a, a round of applause. You are here. You're putting Jesus first. I love to see it. Quick announcement before we jump into today. Uh, this Wednesday, our youth group is back. So they went to summer camp. They brought about 40 people to summer camp. They had an amazing time. Then they took a little break, and they're back at it this Wednesday night. So if you have a student, junior high or high school, in the chapel Wednesday, they would love to see you there. Now, I just got to tell you the truth right now. I am nervous about today's sermon, okay? If you guys have, I don't know if any of you have taken time since Daniel season one to read the second half of the book of Daniel. If you have, then you know why I am nervous to preach these sermons, okay? This is a challenging section of scripture. Actually, probably the most challenging section of scripture I've ever preached in my life, okay? So, so there's, there's Daniel, there's, there's Revelation, there's minor prophets. Like, they're all minor prophets. Those are all, like, some of the hardest books to teach. And so here we are today, challenging section, Daniel season two. I'm really excited about it. Life in the end. And we're going to have merch available next week. So if you guys would like to buy some shirts to, to support the series, you could get those next week in the lobby. Now, uh, we're going to do a little recap and we're going to jump into this this morning. So let's start with some recap. In season one of Daniel, we learned that in 605 BC, Daniel and other teenagers like him were kidnapped and forced into exile by an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar raided Jerusalem two more times until he finally burned everything to the ground in 586 BC, which was the fall of Jerusalem. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, he turned it into a vassal state. We learned this in the first half. He brought the best and the brightest from the land of, of, of Israel back to his hometown of Babylon, located in modern-day Iraq, and once they were in Babylon, those youths, those teenagers, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those others, they were totally reprogrammed. Their names were changed from names that honor God to names that honor Satan. They were forced into a government-mandated re-education program where they were trained in astrology and the occult, and they were even castrated. Now, some of you, I asked, what did you guys learn about the first half of Daniel? I learned that the teenagers were castrated. I'm like, sorry, guys. I know, that's sad. That's sad. But that was a common practice in these days. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the only king doing this. He wanted to make sure that your life belonged to him, your purpose. Once he conquered your, your land, your nation, he would bring you back and he turned you into a Babylonian. And your only purpose in life was to serve the king. You weren't allowed to have a family. You weren't allowed to ruin his concubines. You weren't allowed to do anything that you wanted to do. You had one purpose, and that was to serve the king. And, and so that was his way of saying, your life belongs to me. Your life belongs to Babylon. Well, Daniel... He remained in Babylon for 70 years. So the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 6, 
covers about 70 years. Daniel starts off as a teenager, and he ends at the last chapter, chapter 6, and he's in his 80s, maybe his 90s. And during those 70 years, Daniel served under three kings— the first king was Nebuchadnezzar, which we've learned a lot about him. He was the, he was the greatest king of Babylon. We talk about ancient wonders of the, of the world, he, he, the hanging gardens. That was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, after Nebuchadnezzar was his grandson, Belshazzar. We learned about Belshazzar. This is the guy who has the naughty parties. You guys remember that? Belshazzar and the naughty parties. Okay, this guy was a spoiled grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was the one who had the naughty party. And while he was partying, the, the Persians were on the outside of the gates. And we talk about this in history. It's one of the greatest battles in all of history. They drained the river, and they snuck under, under the walls into Babylon. And so the next, uh, the next king is Cyrus. He's the, the, the king of the, the Medes and Persians. So Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and we don't have Cyrus on there. but we, Oh, there he is, Cyrus. Okay. Now, the book of Daniel is made up of two halves, each with its own genre, hence why we broke it into two seasons. The first six chapters contains narratives from the life of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They show Daniel and his friends serving their pagan masters loyally. All these kings, even though they're wicked kings with wicked governments and wicked laws and rules, they served these wicked governments faithfully and passionately, yet without compromising their greater loyalty to God. So, so they were good citizens up until the moment that being a good citizen would make them break a law of God. Because who do we serve first and foremost? We don't serve first and foremost the state. We serve first and foremost the God who made us and loves us. Can I get an amen? Okay, so they were good citizens up until that point. And so there were times where they stood for their beliefs and put their lives on the line. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the flames of the furnace. Okay, all these different episodes. So that was the first half. The second half, though, Daniel 7 through 12, contains apocalyptic visions. Okay, eschatology, we call it. Visions about the end. Eschaton means, means the end, the, the last days, the end of time. So Daniel 7 through 12 is all about the end of the world. The, it's, some, there's other things in there, too. We're going to see it. There's, there's near prophecies in, in Daniel's life, things that would happen pretty quickly, and then there are prophecies that have yet to, to unfold that we are still waiting for today. And these prophecies are designed to reassure God's people that in spite of their present persecution, Daniel was a slave in exile in a foreign land, and so were his brothers and sisters. And despite their persecution, despite their problems, despite their suffering, God wanted Daniel and his people to know that he is still in control and that he will ultimately be victorious. And so the big idea of this second half of the book of Daniel is that the Lord is aware of the suffering of his people. He knows when we're struggling. He knows when we're experiencing injustice. He knows when the, the kingdoms of the world seem to be coming in and, and persecuting and coming at us, he knows and he will be there by their side. He will be there for his people. And one day he will bring the trials of his people to an end when he establishes his kingdom on earth forever and ever at the return of his son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So that's, that's what all of Daniel kind of points to. So it talks about all these other kingdoms. But it points forward to an even greater kingdom, the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want to give you a quick warning about apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is hard to understand. Okay, there's symbolism in this kind of literature. Symbolism is a key element in this style of writing, and these symbols sometimes baffle readers. And so if you read the second half of Daniel, you're going to see it's a lot like the book Revelation. And, and, and in fact, today's chapter, chapter 7, is quoted 58 times in the New Testament, and most of those quotations are found in the book of Revelation. The first half was about these dreams that Daniel had to interpret. The second half, Daniel has dreams, and Daniel has visions, and now an angel has to interpret it. So that's what we're covering today. So I'm nervous, uh, and you should be too. All right, so let's... Let's pray and get into this thing. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I, I just want to just lift up this time to you today. We want to hear from you, Father God. We want to be reminded of the fact that you are the solution. You are in control. You are in the same place you've always been. That is on your throne. When we're suffering, you're still on the throne. When the, when the world seems to be shaking, you are still on the throne. Even when we die and our bodies are buried and it seems that all hope is lost, yet you reign on the throne forever and you promise your people eternal life in you. You're the hope that we have, the only hope that we have. Hope in this life and hope in the life to come. And so I just pray, God, that you would turn our gaze to heaven today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. If you guys have your Bibles, please turn there. I'll read it here on the screen. In the first year of Belshazzar, so what you're going to see in the second half of this book, Daniel's going to go back in time now. Okay, so now we're going back to his time in Babylon. So he kind of bounces around here at the second half of the book. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, the wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So there you guys have it. Now, if you are new to Christianity or if you are new to the Bible, you, you, I just read that passage and you were like, what in the stranger things is going on this morning? Apocalyptic literature 
is very, very strange. It contains very strange imagery because what's happening is they're getting these visions of the future and they're trying to put into words what they see, but what they're seeing is hard to describe. And so all he can do is compare what he's seeing to different animals and, and other objects that he has seen in this world. And so he's, stri- he's struggling for the language to describe what he saw. But, but as he thinks about it, it becomes clear what some of these images are. Now, I want you to remember that we are separated from Daniel by about 2,600 years, okay? About 2,600 years separates us from Daniel. And so when we read about these beasts, on the surface, we're like, what are these beasts? What is going on? Why is this so crazy? I don't understand it. But you got to realize, Daniel, in his context, he actually would have understood some of these beasts and what they meant and what they represented. But we're so separated from him that sometimes they're hard for us to grasp. So let me just give you an example of this, uh, how this plays out today. Okay, if Daniel stepped into our world today, he would see some of the beasts that we talk about and that we celebrate and that we put on on screens, and he'd be like, what are you guys talking about? So let me give you an example. Look at this beast. If Daniel saw this, he'd be like, what in the world is this? When you see this, what do you think of? You think of Lamor High, right? Now, what if I told you, what if I told you, I saw a vision in the night, and there was a tiger with purple fur, and he was trampling on a bull pup with a, with a red hat, what would you think I was talking about? You would think I was talking about Hanford High, Lamore. Like you'd start putting the pieces together, right? So I tell you that you have a little bit of an understanding of that because you understand some of these beasts. Or what if I told you I had a vision right before the NFL season started that there was a ram and he was mighty and he was powerful and he went north, south, east, and west and he devoured everyone in his path and he held up a silver trophy at the end of the, at the, end of the day. What would, I, what would you assume? You would cheer, right? Yeah, okay. Some of you are like, no, it's a, it's a raider. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Let me give you another example of some beasts that that we understand, but others might not. Here we go. What if I told you I had this vision and there was a donkey waging war against an elephant and they were all fighting to come under the power of the great eagle? What do you think of when you think of eagle? United States of America, right? So we see all these beasts. Even today, nations are represented by animals. Parties are represented by animals. People groups are often represented by animals. Okay, China is is represented by a panda. Russia is represented by a bear. Australia is represented by a kangaroo. Saudi Arabia, Arabia is represented by a camel. These four beasts, we learn, Daniel 7, 17, says these four great beasts that he saw are four kings and kingdoms who shall arise out of the earth. So each terrifying beast in his vision represents a kingdom that will rule over God's people in succession. And some of these uh, images he actually would understand. The first beast, we'll hit this really quickly because we got a lot to cover. The first beast is the lion with eagle's wings. And the lion with eagle's wings represents the kingdom of Babylon. This beast signifies the strength and majesty of a lion 
combined with the speed and power of an eagle. Both of these images are used by the prophet Jeremiah to describe Nebuchadnezzar. And if you were to look at excavations of Babylon, you could go and and see some of these things in museums. The, the, The winged lion is the symbol of Babylon, okay? That, that is the symbol of Babylon. And so the lion, though, this lion in this story, in this vision, his wings are plucked and he is humbled. What happened to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar when he, was, when he was proud and he exalted himself before God? What happened? You guys remember? God knocked him down, humbled him. And then after some time, God restored his mind. And so he was, back, he, he was restored. And so the, his mind was restored. This lion, his wings are plucked. And then he's restored and, and to stand on his feet and given the mind of a man. So we know that the first one is about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. The second, though, is the lopsided bear. And the lopsided bear represents a kingdom that during this vision had not yet been the most powerful kingdom in the world. It was the Medes and Persians. The Medes and Persians were were made up of two kingdoms coming together as one. And so this vision is of this lopsided, lumpy bear where there is one side that is stronger than the other. And that was the case with the Medes and the Persians. The the Persians were always stronger than the Medes. And so actually when we talk about history today, no one ever talks about the Medes. All they ever talk about is simply the Persians. And the Persians are the ones who came in. They're this powerful beast, and they destroyed Babylon, and uh, the, the ribs in the bear's mouth represent other kingdoms that were destroyed, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. The third beast in this vision is a leopard with four heads, and this leopard with four heads is coming even later, so Daniel didn't get to see this, this leopard with four heads actually happen. This hap- he had this vision long before this happened in the history books, and this represented Greece, and, and this is really like so scholars are baffled, like how in the world did he interpret this stuff? They, they cannot wrap their mind around it because if you, if you study what happened with Greece, it's really quite phenomenal. The, the Greeks, especially because of the power of Alexander the Great, he went and conquered the known world faster than any other person before him. He came into power in his 20s. We're going to talk about this more next week. And by the age of 33, he had conquered the whole known world, and he wept because he had nothing left to do. And so he's represented here as a leopard because leopards are fast. And if you want to make a leopard even faster, what should you do to it? Give it wings, right? So this is a leopard that doesn't just run, but it also has wings. But there's also this picture of four heads. Because if you, real, if you study Alexander the Great, what you'll learn, and we'll talk about it more next week, is when he died in his 30s, his kingdom, what, he didn't have a successor, and so it was left over to four different generals. And so these four generals took over when Alexander had passed away in 323 BC. So that was a a future vision, a future beast, a future kingdom. But then he gets a vision of an even more terrifying kingdom, a more terrifying beast. And this one, he doesn't have like animal, this one defies zoological categories, okay? This one, he doesn't have words to describe this. He just simply calls it a beast. And this beast represents Rome, a monstrosity of animals and weapons, Rome overtook more land than all the previous empires. And the ten horns on this beast's head emphasize the extreme power of the Roman Empire. They possessed power and longevity unlike anything the world had ever known. And the enemies of Rome were crushed under the iron boot of the Roman legions, which this 
beast had iron teeth and, and claws. And it, it was the, the largest and longest empire in history, the Roman Empire. Now, now this vision about these future empires that will rule over God's people in succession, uh, one after another, correlates with, with the vision in Daniel 2 of the statue. You might remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And the, the different metals represent different kingdoms that will rule in succession. And so this is actually some of the same stuff that he is seeing that Nebuchadnezzar saw. But Daniel's vision is from God's perspective. Nebuchadnezzar's vision is from man's perspective. Because when Nebuchadnezzar saw the, the kingdoms in succession, he saw glory. He talked about gold and silver and bronze and iron. And he looks at the kingdoms of the earth and he's like, man, we are so awesome. And there's a statue that represents mankind and, and, and it represents how human beings are. We're so impressed with ourselves and we're so hungry for power and so hungry for more, hungry for control, fueled by greed. And so when God sees the kingdoms of the earth, and when God sees kingdom after kingdom taking over each other and devouring each other and destroying each other and, and the, the terrible things that human be, beings do to each other in pursuit of power and greed and influence, what God sees is not something beautiful like this statue. God sees beasts, terrible beasts that will fight and claw and destroy and, and get rid of anybody in their path in, a, in pursuit of power. And so Daniel's vision is different because it's from God's perspective and not from a man's perspective. Now, before we move forward, I want to state the obvious about these prophecies. God told Daniel the future and it happened. You guys realize that? It's so easy to sit here today and be like, oh, that's a really cool story. No, that's not a story. That's history. And that's not just history. That's history told before history even happened. Okay, that is mind-blowing. Scholars today, when they read the pages of Daniel, they have no idea what to make of it. They're like, there's no way. This, like, how do we even describe this? How do we account for this? This is impossible that he would have visions that are this clear about the future and what he saw actually happen. And so here's a big takeaway that we have to remember as we go through prophecy, and it's this. Only God knows the future. Only God does. And what's cool about God is that on occasion, he actually lets us know exactly what's going to happen. And when he lets us know what's going to happen, he doesn't do it all the time. But when he does, we call this prophecy. And everything that was prophesied would happen actually happened. And so that means that we can trust without a doubt that everything that is still prophesied to happen will actually happen. A quarter of the Bible is predictive prophecy. What sets the Bible apart from every other book on the planet is that it contains predictive prophecy, detailed prophecy about the future. And I just want you to hear this today loud and clear. There are no other religious texts on the planet that do this. None. The Bible is the only book on the planet, Christianity is the only religion 
on the planet that made predictions about things thousands and thousands of years away, and every single one of those predictions actually was fulfilled perfectly. There is nothing else like it on the planet. Only Christianity, only the Bible, which is why when I stand up here and preach, I don't tell you my opinions. I just tell you what the Bible says because I believe that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. Now, in the midst of these prophecies, an even scarier prophecy is made, one that will yet be fulfilled, that has yet to be fulfilled. So prophecy, when we talk about this next week, there are near fulfillments, so things that might happen within a few hundred years, and then there are far fulfillments, things that might correlate with the last days, the end of the world, the eschaton. And so that's what we're going to transition now to, now to now, the end of the world, the last days. A lot of scripture here. You guys ready? As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was with, uh, within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the, of the things. These four great beasts are four great kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces." As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away. 
to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the, the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So we learned about four beasts. Now I'm going to introduce three additional characters to this story. The first is the little horn with eyes and a mouth. The second is the ancient of days. The third is the son of man. So let's start with the little horn. So the little horn, in, in, in apocalyptic literature, horns almost always represent kings or kingdoms. The problem is that this horn is different because this horn has eyes that have seen more than anyone before him. And he has a mouth that spe speaks boastfully and pridefully and arrogantly. And he, he, he demeans the saints. He demeans God and he lifts himself up above God. And this ruler, we're des described here, is extremely intelligent and clever his message will be revolting to believers, but the world will fall under his spell and under his winsome words and his captivating personality. He's a little horn that starts off small. He has a small beginning, but he eventually grows to take over the whole world and wage war against God's people, against God's saints. So any guesses on who the little horn is? Anyone want to guess? The Antichrist. The little horn is the Antichrist. Now, we learn more about this person in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. The Antichrist has a few different names. He's called a man of lawlessness, the abomination of desolation, a man of bold face is what we'll hear next week. Uh, the, the dragon, the beast, there's all kinds of different names for this figure. But this is what Paul says in Thessalonians. Let no one deceive you in any way. For the return of Christ will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist or the little horn, is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. We're gonna learn this, he got that straight out of Daniel. Proclaiming himself to be God. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. It says that he'll change laws and, 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 and seasons. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what Daniel... And what John in Revelation, and what Paul here in Thessalonians, and what other Jesus himself speaks of in Scripture, teaches of in Scripture, is that there will be a time in the future, a time of rebellion and tribulation, unlike anything the world has seen just before the return of Christ. And so Daniel, in this prophecy, he, trans he, he transitions from events that are going to happen a few hundred years from, from, from his life to events, events that are going to happen who knows how long away from when he was having this vision. In the future, what we see from Jesus and others, there will be a great 
tribulation and a great rebellion. And this time that we, this is a time that we call the last days. Now, we don't know when the last days will happen. We don't know when the return of Christ will happen. Jesus says he'll return like a what? A thief in the night. Okay, no one will know it. No one will expect it. Jesus alone knows when he is coming back. But although we don't know when this will happen, we have some hints as to what the last days will look like and even how long the last days will last, which I'll talk about that next week. So three things to know about the last days just out of this passage from Daniel. Three things to know about the last days. The first thing I want you to see in this passage today is that in the last days, believers will be persecuted. In the last days, being a Christian will be hard. And I don't want to alarm you, but I'm pretty sure you're realizing and noticing that in these days, becoming a, being a Christian is getting hard, right? Following Jesus already is getting harder and harder and harder to do. Christians are labeled in our current culture as radicals or bigots or intolerant. If you go to other countries, you actually can't be a Christian. You can't talk about your faith. You can't own a Bible. You cannot share Jesus with your neighbor. Okay, I've supported missionaries in other countries. I've visited other countries where I had to be quiet about Jesus in public and only talk about Jesus behind closed doors unless I wanted to be put in jail and kept in that country away from my family for the rest of my life. Being a Christian is already getting hard, and what we see, though, in the last days, it will only get harder. Daniel prophesies that persecution towards Christians will increase and increase and increase. And in the last days, a madman known as the Antichrist, someone who is likely possessed by Satan, as we saw there in Thessalonians, will not only blaspheme God, he, he, he has a blasphemous mouth, but he'll oppress the saints and he'll wage war against them and he'll start off small and then he will, go, then he will increase and increase until he, he owns it all and he is overtaking basically the world. He'll gain powerful platforms to speak against the saints and to wear them out. Do you ever feel like powerful platforms are speaking against Christianity? Okay, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not, I don't know when the last days are. I just want you to see some of this stuff is already ramped up. There are already powerful voices, powerful platforms doing what they can to silence truth, to silence Christians. And it starts small, and then it gets big. We also learn that he'll gain powerful, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll abolish, likely abolish religious freedom, set himself up to be worshipped as God. He'll be a military and political leader, and his power will be, will be accompanied by great signs and wonders. And Revelation says that he'll even apply economic pressure to force his subjects to follow him and reject religion. So Revelation says it this way, the beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or their forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. In the last days, Christians will be persecuted. Number two... In the last days, 
we will see history will get worse before it gets better. Now, at the end of this passage, Daniel said, the visions of my head alarmed me, and he was anxious. So if you're sitting here today like, man, we're talking about heavy things today. Yes, we are. He had a vision of very scary, hard, and heavy things. And one thing that he saw was that history would get worse before it actually got better. Now, humans like to think that we have the power within ourselves to create heaven on earth. We think that, you know, if we just embrace this new social cause and we post it on our profiles as a background on our profile pictures, then the world will change. Or if we just vote for this leader, then everything will get better. And I'm not, vote for good leaders. I'm not saying don't. But we tend to, to, to simplify it like, no, this guy will fix it. That law will fix it. This thing, if we just, if we just take this drug, then that will, that will protect us. That will make things go away. That, that will be our savior. And many of these things, you know, they help a little bit. But no leader, no drug, no law can completely fix this broken world because humans can't fix what is broken in this world only God can and here's the thing we keep searching for answers and we keep pushing solutions but we don't actually have solutions okay we just heard that what the world needs is more electric cars I'm not against electric cars and then a few days later we just heard what the world needs is to unplug their electric cars okay we don't have the answers. People will tell you education is the key. And, and I praise the educators in this room. We have many of them. Let's give it up for our educators. You are doing an amazing job. But we can't simplify the answer and say that what we need is just education. Because if you look at some of the things that the state wants to force onto our children and teach our children, you will quickly realize that we are not becoming smarter as a nation. We are becoming dumber. And, and I know that's hard to hear, but I'm pointing this out because Daniel says that the world is going to come up with solutions and the world doesn't have the solutions. It will only get worse before it gets better because it can't get better until Jesus comes. Paul describes it this way about the decline of society in the last days. You should know this, that in the last days, there will be difficult times. Very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That's the picture of the last days. Some of you read that and you're like, no, that's the picture of these days. The third thing we learn about the last days, and this is kind of, that was a hint of it, morality will be in decline. He says, as I looked, or sorry, he shall speak, Daniel 7, 25, talking about the little horn, the Antichrist. He'll speak words against the Most High, and he'll wear them out 
Okay, so, so he and, and whoever follows him will make it their aim to wear out God's people, to just wear them out, to make them give up, to silence them, to shut them down, to cancel them, whatever it is, to persecute them, wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change the times and the laws. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years, by the way. Time is one year, times is two years, half a time is, is half a year. I know it's confusing. We'll talk more next week on it. But morality will be in decline. And so although the Antichrist might not be here yet, the spirit of Antichrist is already alive and well. And has been alive and well since this prophecy. John says that there are many antichrists. Now, he's not talking about this one ultimate antichrist, but many who who are pushing an agenda against the saints, against the people of God. There are many antichrists, and the spirit of antichrist is actually already alive. And one way that we see that is when people attempt to change God's word or to change God's law, that is, in fact, the spirit of antichrist. That's what we read in Daniel. And so instead of changing one's morality... Instead of acknowledging that maybe, you know what, I'm just a human being. And what I thought about this, I may actually be wrong. And God may be right. And I actually may may need to change. And God might actually be what I may need to call out to him. But instead of us changing and acknowledging his truth, we seek instead to change his truth. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And here's a warning. If you are looking for someone to preach a message that you want to hear, you will find it. You can always find someone to preach your preferred position, your desired truth in a winsome and compelling way. I see it all the time on YouTube and social media. I worry sometimes about our students, which is why we've been putting so much energy into youth and young adults. Because I'm just telling you, they're on social media all the time. They're learning from these teachers about what is truth and what is not and what is right in scripture and what is not but there are people with who are twisting and perverting the word of God and making it into something they want it to be to support their desired positions when in fact the the word of God doesn't even say that they're doing hermeneutical gymnastics to get to their positions and I just want to warn you if you want to find someone to to share with you the position you want to hear you can find them But if you want to listen to God's word and be real, then there are going to be times where your position is going to have to change. Because God's truth does not change. Times may change, but his truth doesn't. Well, the good news is that, you guys hanging in there, by the way? Okay. The good news and I'm I'm going to be over time. I'm just, just warning you, okay? I needed like four hours to preach this sermon. The good news is that God will not overlook any of these wrongs. He sees the world spiraling out of control. He sees the the false truths being spent and sent around the globe. And so one day he will sit down and he will judge, which gives us the third character in this story, or second character in the story, and that is the Ancient of Days. And I'll hit this quickly. It says this, As I looked, 
Thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels, okay, the, the, they had wheels because it was a picture of being mobile. It could go in any direction. There was nowhere it couldn't reach. It had wheels that were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Okay, that's just millions and hundreds of millions in front of his throne. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and books were opened. Any ideas who this ultimate judge is at the end of time who will hold everyone accountable for every deed and every nation accountable for everything that they did? Any idea who this person is? The Ancient of Days is God the Father. We're going to see Jesus here in a second. God the Father. The Ancient of Days is this perfect judge who has the wisdom to sort out right from wrong. So while the world has been deceived and they have believed these false teachings taught by the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist and have followed in his ways, the, the, the Ancient of Days is the, the pure judge who will one day sit on a throne and with purity he will choose what is right and he will execute justice and he is the only one with the power to enforce his judgments. He is clothed in white. He, he's, he's the Ancient of Days. His, his throne is on fire. There's a, th- a, a stream of fire coming out which is a picture of judgment and he could toss. Whoever he is opposed to him can be tossed into this lake of fire. And even though the little horn will wage war against the Ancient of Days, one day this little horn will be slain and his body will be thrown into the fire. And this isn't going to happen through a new ruler. This is not going to happen through some kind of new law. This is not going to happen through some kind of future nation. This is only going to happen by the power of God. And so the big idea for today's message and with this scene is that God is our only hope in humbling times. That's the title of my sermon today, Hope in Humbling Times. We don't defeat the beast, God does. We don't right the wrongs of humanity, God does. We don't control history or our destiny, God does. We don't save ourselves, God saves us us. And the reason I want you to hear that loud and clear is because there are times where we are tempted to think that we have much more power than we actually do. We are the creatures. He is the creator. And so the only response that we should have as his creatures is is to worship him, to trust him, to follow him, to obey him, even when it's hard, even when it means we have to change something in our lives even when it means that our truth doesn't align with his truth. And so if my truth doesn't line up with his truth, he's not the one who's wrong. I'm the one who's wrong. We have to get to a position of seeing God is on the throne and we are not. And even these powerful kingdoms that we think are the hope of the world, these leaders that we think are the hope of the world, they will rise up, they will fall down. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. What was once Rome is now just dust on the earth. We think we're powerful, but there is only one who is powerful, and he is seated right now on a throne in heaven, is God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And as everyone is watching this great judgment unfold, and these books being opened, where, where God basically holds people accountable for their lives and holds kingdoms accountable for what they have done. And, and these beasts are being held accountable for what the decisions that they have made. 
in the middle of this scene, as angels are gathered and, and creatures of all different angelic beings are gra- gathered, millions and millions, and saints are gathering, comes one riding on a cloud in the heavens. And in the middle of this scene, this great judgment, one comes riding down on this cloud, and he's called the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. It said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Okay, no other kingdom on earth will last forever. Even the United States will not last forever. As amazing as this country is, there is only one kingdom that will be everlasting. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There is only one kingdom that will rule everlasting. His, one king who will rule everlasting. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the one with the dominion. He is the one with the power. And in one day, all nations, all languages, all tongues will bow down their knee to worship him. And his kingdom is one that shall never, ever, ever be destroyed. The Son of Man is Jesus Christ. You know what's crazy about Jesus His favorite title for himself in the New Testament was not Messiah. It was Son of Man. Isn't that interesting? And and here's the reason why. Every time people who understood the Bible heard Jesus say Son of Man, you know what they thought of? Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, there's a picture of one riding on the clouds. It's a picture of divine authority. This son of man is not like other human beings. He is the God-man. He is fully man and fully God, and he rides in on the clouds to receive a kingdom and to rule and to reign. But before he receives that kingdom, he lays down his, his life as a lamb, but he returns once again as a lion. He is the son of man. And so Jesus often, when he talked about himself, his favorite title was son of man, not Messiah, not anything else. He didn't even talk, didn't mention a lot of times. He said it, but not a lot of times. He didn't often refer to himself as the Son of God. Only on occasion he referred himself to himself as the Son of God because Son of Man was an even greater title than all of those titles. He is the one with the power and the dominion and the glory. And so that is why when Jesus was before the Sanhedrin the night before he was crucified and they stood before him and they said, hey, we've been hearing you saying blasphemous things. Here's your chance. Denounce everything you say. And Jesus says, you know what? I know you want me to do that, but you're going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And when the Sanhedrin heard him say this, these were the learned guys who knew the Bible. They ripped their robes and they cried out blasphemy. He makes himself out to be God. And so they nailed him to a Roman cross and they placed him in a Roman tomb because they knew he was claiming to be God. But the Son of Man didn't just claim to be God. He showed himself to be God because three days later when they went to the tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers, the tomb was empty. The Son of Man appeared alive. He ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns the right hand of God the Father, and one day he will return in power and glory riding on the clouds. 
Prophecy is a reminder that God knows the future. History is his story, God's story. And so I want to conclude with a few applications. Number one, remember, this is not your home. This life that you're living, this world that you're living in, this town called Lemoore is actually not your hometown. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are exiles on this planet, just as Daniel was an exile in Babylon. And this means your deepest longings will never be satisfied in this life. You were made for more. And so that leads to number two. Take the long view in this life. Don't, don't just focus on the here and now. Focus on forever. Choose not to be overwhelmed by the present. Instead, take a step back and remember that God is the one. He will have the final say. The wicked will not prosper. Don't give up. Don't give in. Jesus wins. Stop thinking about days and months and years. Start thinking about millenniums. Start thinking about forever. Here's the question for you. Where will you be forever? Are you investing in here and now? Or are you investing in what will last forever? Are you storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy? Or are you investing in the mission of God's people, the mission of Jesus's church, the mission of seeking and saving the lost? Are you storing up treasure in heaven, giving of yourself, giving tithing of of what what God gives you, making him your priority, living for what will last? Because you know as awesome as your house is, a hundred years from now, it'll likely be gone. And if it's not gone a hundred years from now, it'll be gone a thousand years from now. And and if Jesus may come back before then. This life, this world is perishing along with everything in it. And the only thing that will live on beyond this perishing world is human beings. Human beings. Where will you live forever? What are you investing in, here or there? Number three, put Jesus first in everything. If Jesus is the son of man, if he's the one who inherits it all, put him first. If all of history is pointing to him, put him first, first in your marriage, first in your life. Okay, that thing that you've been justifying, that sin that you've said, you know what, I just, I can't, I, can't, I don't believe that's true from God. I'm not going to give him this part of my life. Give it to him. Put him first in your morality, in your parenting, in everything you do. And finally, number four, reach your oikos. History is heading towards one final moment where we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And so the question is, are you ready? And is your oikos ready? Are your kids ready for that moment? Is your mom ready for that moment? Is your neighbor ready for that moment? Is your coworker ready for that moment? Is your oikos ready for the moment where they will stand before Jesus Christ? Because what we read here in Daniel is everybody one day will, and books will be open. And on that day, you will either stand as one forgiven and redeemed and clothed in white, or you will stand as one who is going to be held accountable to every deed you have ever done in this life. Are you ready to meet your maker? Hope and humbling times. Let's pray. Father God, I know this was a lot today, but I pray, Lord, that we would have an eternal perspective. Sometimes we need to step back and just learn. We need to step back and be taught. And, and, and sometimes that's not as, as engaging, but it's, it's so important because it's like putting on new glasses and seeing the world in a new light. 
and understanding what is true and understanding what will happen and and having our eyes to, to see when those things unfold. And so I just pray, God, that we would be a church who focuses on what will matter, on what will last, that we will invest in what will matter and what will last. And if anyone's anxious about the future today, give them hope in humbling times. The hope of knowing that the world may be shaking, but you are on the throne. You are in control. They don't need to be worried about tomorrow because you already have it figured out. They just need to put one foot in front of the other and trust you with today. I love and praise you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.